Good morning. Grab a seat. Happy New Year. Uh, the Patriots are no longer in the playoffs. Um, wow. Okay. I did. I didn't know there was that much. Didn't know there was that much hate out there. I'm gonna change my message right now. Um, all right. Uh, well, again, Happy New Year. Uh, it's been a great New Year so far. We got back from like a 13-day road trip. Um, we officiated a wedding in Tallahassee. Uh, the Georges are official now. Um, yeah, yeah, brand new married couple. They were always legit, but now they're official. Um, so it's really, really cool. Um, and then we went to, uh, we just got to spend time uh, with our families in North Georgia at some cabins. We rented out for the holidays. It's like one of those times with family at the holidays that sometimes you want time with family to end at the holidays. <laughs> You're like, I love you, family, but it's time to go. Um, this wasn't. Like, we just uh, were a couple hundred feet away from each other. We just, you know, staying up late, playing games, um, eating, like all the cousins were playing together. It's like one of those times that you're like, I don't want this to end. Um, but, but it did. Uh, so joyous, so good to just celebrate Christ, but also family. And then uh, we went to Faith Walkers, which was awesome. I know Stephen got the chance to share about it. And yeah, it's tough when you're at Faith Walkers with three kids, um, for, like for my wife and I. But it was really great because God got to speak to us powerfully, beautifully, meaningfully. And we're ready for the new year. Um, and so this is just kind of an update. Also, I don't know, I have uh, um, three kids. Uh, my youngest is Phineas. He's 18 months old. He's not quite walking yet. Um, he really likes crawling and howling. Um, so just kind of like a ow, and he just does that. So I don't know if you watch too much Paw Patrol, but um, that's like his stage of life right now. Um, and it was cute like the first hundred times he howled, but I think we're into the thousand range. And some of you parents know like it's not cute when it's midnight and you're trying to fall asleep and your kid thinks howling is the best thing ever. Um, another real quick thing, uh, we've got um, two new babies in the church. Um, so we got some pictures up there, yeah. So, woo. Um, they were both born in the last couple days, Eve Alba Clausen, um, and then Micah Paul Rabb. So it's really cute. If you guys don't know Aaron, um, uh, Eve is on the left, and there's Wally, because that's Aaron Clausen, you know. <laughs> Um, and I'm pretty sure the baby monitor camera is actually in Wally's eyes. Um, but that's, I don't know. You guys might have to check that fact with Aaron. Um, but I love it. It's like new babies. Mm. Um, so what a great, what a great new year. Um, and, I, and I think that's what every new year is, right? It's, it's like this um, excitement and opportunity is, is ahead of us. It's a brand new year. The slate is wiped clean. We're going to crush all of our goals, and it's going to be the best year ever. I think that's, that's one of the beautiful things about the new years. And uh, with that, we're just going to start a new series at Awaken Church as well. And we're going to start a new series um, just called New Testament Character Sketches. And we're really excited about this series for, for a couple reasons. Um, one is that question is, is always like, you know, when you read through the New Testament, you see these like big major characters, you know, Paul and the disciples. Um, but what about these people kind of you, who you don't really see? They're there, they're talked about, but you don't really know what they're doing, that they're mentioned enough to, to where it's like, oh, I, I, I heard that name, like, what does he do? And I don't really know him. Um, 
Does it matter? <laughs> um, and I would just argue that these are some of the ordinary men and women who built the early church. And sometimes I think we can connect with them maybe a little bit better than we can connect with like the big characters. Sometimes those big characters, they're, they just seem that like, oh, they're, they're like so awesome. You know, they're super saints. You know, they're like special forces. And that's, that's not me. You know, my faith isn't there yet. Or I, I just, I, I don't ever see myself doing that. But then there's these characters on the margins. And I feel like that's kind of what this series is about, is who are these characters on the margins? Because you see, they were never marginal. But sometimes, isn't that how we feel? Like if we're just on the margins, we're kind of marginal. Like we're not necessary. Like God's going to do what God's going to do, and we're just kind of on the margins. So we'll serve a little bit here. You know, we'll we'll do a little bit here. We'll give a little bit here, but we're just kind of on the margins. And I think the hope of this series is to say these were not marginal. They were ordinary, but in their ordinariness, they were extraordinary. And that's our hope for you guys, is as we look at um, five lives from the New Testament that were on the margins, is that you guys would be able to see, wow, these were characters on the margins, but God used them. Um, So I'm really excited um, to dive in. And I think one of the goals, too, is that um, we'll be looking at how each of these characters um, decided to do something about leadership. So this new year, I've got a, a, a bubble to burst for you in some ways. It's something that I've kind of slowly learned myself. Um, no one's going to do leadership for you. Like, you are going to have to decide to do leadership in your life. Or you'll just be buffeted around, tossed to and fro. You've got to decide to do leadership in your life. So each of these characters that we're going to look at, there is going to be an aspect of leadership that they were leading as well. And so I'm really excited. And and I'm excited, too, because I know, you know, a lot of people are big fans of Bob Ross. Um, And so we got these sketches of the New Testament. So you see this beautiful canvas of the New Testament laid out. I love how Bob Ross is just like, oh, look at this detail. Let's just focus on this little detail over here. And all of a sudden, like, his art class will spend 20 minutes filling in on this detail. And I think that's kind of what the goal of the series, again, is about. We're going to take some Bob Ross moments, you know, and just, hey, what's this little detail over here? Let's, Let's look at this. Let's see why this is important. Let's see how maybe you won't notice it the first time you look at the painting. Have you ever, like, sat in front of a good work of art? It slowly draws you in and you start noticing things here and there in the corners, on the margins, on the edges. And you're just like, wow, this is great. And that's what our hope is with the New Testament and this series. So let's um, get cranking. Um, our first character that we're going to look at is Titus. Um, and uh, Titus, uh, if you guys want to flip open uh, your Bible to uh, Titus, it's actually a book in the Bible. It's this character um, it's the 17th book in the New Testament. And uh, Paul writes a very short letter um, to Titus. It's about, it, it's three chapters long. Um, if you read it out loud, it would take you less than 15 minutes to read. So it, it's, it's kind of a longer letter, um, but, it, but it's a good letter. Um, and um, he has some specific instructions for Titus that we're going to look at. Um, just so you guys know, Titus, again, he's, he's on the margins. Um, 
He's only named uh, 13 other times in the New Testament. Um, the 14th is actually to this book uh, in this letter. So we're just going to read the first few verses. Uh, so Titus 1, uh, verses 1 through 4. Paul, a slave of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness in the hope of eternal life that God, who cannot lie, promised before time began and has in his own time revealed his message in the proclamation that I was entrusted with by the command of God our Savior. To Titus, my true child in our common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. There's probably a couple sermons in there, but we're looking at Titus. But I love that Paul starts off this letter you know, he shares what he's about, that he's a slave of God and he's an apostle of Jesus Christ. But why? Why are those two things, why have they so cemented his identity? Well, it's so that he would build up the faith of God's people. And how does he do that? Well, he would give them knowledge, but not just knowledge. There's a lot of people that have really good knowledge. There's a lot of people that have really good Bible knowledge. He gives them knowledge of the truth, so it's true things, and then those true things lead to godliness. See, there's a lot of people that have knowledge, there's a lot of people that have truth, but there's not a whole lot of people that allow that knowledge and truth to lead them to godliness. And so Paul shares that this is what he's about, um, this is his calling. And then verse 4, I'll read it for us again, to Titus, my true son, or my true child in our common faith. Grace and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Savior. So it's really cool. Um, in the Roman world, this is kind of crazy. If you weren't happy necessarily with your kids inheriting your reputation and your name and your property, you could adopt out. <laughs> and have another child inherit all those things Julius Caesar did it to Augustus. And it was kind of one of those things in some ways for children to, to know that, hey, your parents love you, but there's an expectation on you. And this is what Paul does with Titus. Paul adopts him and says, not on a legal standpoint, you see, but on a spiritual standpoint, and says, this is my true son. This is my beloved. I'm investing him with my authority, I'm investing him with my legacy, with my inheritance. He's going to be my appointed representative to you guys. So there's no doubt that when Titus is speaking to you, it's, it's Paul. It's Paul's calling that he's filling out. And where does that calling come from? It comes from God in Christ. And so this is what's so powerful. And then what he says to Titus is in our common faith. And I love that because you see, Titus, Titus is not a good Jewish boy's name. In the ancient world, if you're a Jewish family, you do not name your son Titus. That's just not, doesn't happen. Um, now in our world, you know, we see some Tituses mainly from like, you know, Presbyterian circles. They still like, you know, like the name Titus. But in the Roman world, it's a very common name. In fact, it was the, the sixth most commonly used name um, in the ancient world. So um, as anybody does, you go to babynames.com. 
what's Titus all about? Um, I, I'm really just kidding. Um, but some of y'all are like, no, I go to babynames.com. Um, I had a friend in college, didn't even have a girlfriend, and he was on babynames.com like three times a week. And I was like, dude, you don't even have a girlfriend. That's, I don't think that's how that works. And he was just like, no, like when I meet my wife, she's going to be okay. And uh, his, his heart and hope was after I don't know how many hours of research on babynames.com to name um, uh, his son Micah. Um, and that was his, his hope. He wanted to name his son Micah, biblical name, loved it. So he finally, um, you know, got engaged, got married, and first baby, a girl. <laughs> Struck out. Uh, but the second baby was a boy, and you know what? That kid's name is Micah. Um, and I'm like, I don't know how you convinced your wife that, like, I don't know how that went down, but can you give me some notes on the side? Um, so some of y'all, I'm just saying, it's, it's okay to do some research in baby names um, just be open to compromise. Um, by the way, his name was Nate Wilkerson. Um, so a Titus in the ancient world meant honored one. You know, it was a common Roman name. Um, there were several Roman emperors actually named Titus. Um, so um, there's a couple options for what, again, what it means. It could be like one of the giants, the titans, or strong one. Or, but most scholars say it just means honored one that this person is honored. And so what Paul does is, Titus is, is, is not a Jewish boy, but he's one of those early believers. He's someone who's put his faith and hope and trust, having never heard of the one true God, and then the gospel is shared to him, and he believes it. And so in Titus 1, 4, we see Paul saying, I'm, I'm turning over this authority to Titus in the common faith. I've adopted him. He's honored. Do you see that, that Paul is trying to break down any ethnic line in the church? He's trying to break down the things that could so easily divide a congregation. And he's saying, this Roman, who's not a Jew, he's honored. He's going to be doing some leadership things. He's my true son because we have a common faith. The faith in Christ that is around the globe is shared by us all. It is a common faith. Christ has come so that we can dwell with him again. And this is front and center in Paul's mind about any conversation with any believer. There's no more ethnic line. There's no more boundary. There's no more social economic status. Oh, there's believers in Christ, and they share the same inheritance and the same worth and the same value and the same meaning. Wow, it's beautiful. It's rich. It's good. So let's look at Titus and, um, and, and where else he appears in Scripture. Who is this guy who Paul puts such great store in and we don't even know why. I mean, we just read the first four verses. We don't even know why Paul is putting such great store in this Roman guy, um, in this Roman convert to the faith. Um, so flip over to Galatians. Um, Galatians chapter 2 is actually, this is Paul's first letter 
first epistle that he, that he writes, and he's writing it to a bunch of churches um, that he did his first missionary journeys through. And so this is what he says. After 14 years, starting in verse uh, 1 of chapter 2, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along also. I went up because of a revelation and presented to them the gospel I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to those recognized as leaders, so that I might not be running or have run in vain. But not even Titus, who was with me, though he was a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. This issue arose because of false brothers smuggled in who came in secretly to spy on our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus in order to enslave us. So real quick, again, just some backstory that we can piece together, right? We're, we're sketching on the, the margins of the canvas here. Um, Titus probably believed um, at either, either in Antioch, which where Paul was ministering for a while, or on Paul's first missionary journey. And when there was this debate in the early church about, hey, do you have to do these external Jewish things that mark you as a believer? Paul took along Barnabas and Titus to Jerusalem, and they talked with the leaders there, and they said, no, you don't. You don't have to be circumcised. You don't have to follow food laws. You don't have to observe festivals. These things are external things that marked Judaism but they weren't internal things that marked following the Messiah. Not even Titus, who's a new believer, was compelled to add things on to the gospel to look better. Wow. And Paul gives them props for that. This is why I think one of the things, reasons Paul esteems him so highly is that Titus isn't trying to add things on to what Jesus did on the cross for him to make himself look better in front of people. That challenges us today, does it not? Are we not challenged sometimes to add things on to our lives to make us more worthy in Christ's eyes, to make us more worthy in God's eyes? You know, look what I do for the church, or look what I do here, or look what I do this. Those things are not what makes us worthy. What makes us worthy is Christ's death and his shed blood on the cross and our belief in him. These are the things that make us worthy before God. And, and Titus had that down from the beginning. It was part of his identity. He was in the gospel from day one. I don't have to add things on to look better to the church. Christ is my righteousness. Oh, it's so beautiful. And then we hear Titus, he's mentioned 10 times in the, the book of 2 Corinthians. Uh, 2 Corinthians is like one of the hardest books to read in the Bible because there's so much emotional pain going on. Um, Paul um, started the church in Corinth. Um, he left, went to Ephesus, was in Ephesus uh, doing church planting and teaching there. And he gets letters back from Corinth, and they're like, hey, man, things aren't going great. We've got some sin going on. What do we do? Um, Paul writes back to them in 1 Corinthians, and then he goes to visit them, like, hey, let's, did this all get straightened out? And he's actually kicked out of Corinth. Can you imagine getting kicked out of the church he started? Other people saying, we know the gospel better than you, Paul. Don't tell us what to do. 
I mean, it still goes on today, people telling the Bible and pastors that they know what's best for them. But these people kick Paul out of the church. And you know who is the go-between to help reconcile this, to help be a peacemaker, to help kind of bring these factions back together? It was Titus. In fact, Paul says that he went back to Corinth again to try to, to, to see things through for reconciliation, for some conflict resolution, for love. And Titus wasn't there, and he was so depressed that he left. Have you guys ever had that friend who you're like so looking forward to hanging out with, but they're not there? Isn't that depressing? Isn't that tough? Well, Paul leaves. 2 Corinthians is an emotional book. But then he decides to come back to face this church. And Titus has been there most of the time. And on his way back to Corinth, he actually meets Titus in another city. And Titus is saying, hey, the Corinthians, they love you, man. They realize that what you wrote was good. They spend, they're repenting. And it says Paul was comforted. Again, Titus is this guy who's like, man, when you're around him, you're comforted. There's joy. It's exciting to be with that person. And you know what? When you're not around them, things are just a little bit more bleak or dim. It kind of sounds like a best friend, doesn't it? So Titus is this best friend. He's a faithful traveling companion. He's a peacemaker. When Paul leaves Corinth again, he actually puts Titus in charge of collecting the offerings. It's a good move there, Paul. Way to, way to maybe dodge something. But it speaks about Titus's ability to love people, but also share the gospel. His ability to coordinate things, to administer things. He's an organizer. Titus has this like executive leadership. Then we see the book of Titus is written, and we'll jump into that in a minute. The last mention we have of Titus is in 2 Timothy 4.10. Paul's in prison in Rome for the second time. And um, he tells us that, hey, Titus has left me to go to Dalmatia. Uh, Dalmatia was a Roman province um, in Europe. Paul had never been there. And Titus had left him to go to Dalmatia to church plant and to share the gospel. And so at this point, we know that Titus had probably been with Paul for about 10 to 12 years, if not a little bit longer. And we see this mature man taking leadership action, going to share the gospel, church planting, being a faithful friend. And it doesn't just happen like this. Remember, this happens over the course of 10, 12, 15 years. I think we all kind of long for that friend, right? That friend that we just get to love Jesus with that we get to maybe do evangelism with and missions with, that we get to church plant with, that we get to um, organize some of the the work of the kingdom with. I think we all long for that. Paul had that in Titus. And maybe this is the first time that you've realized that or heard that, that ministry, you're not meant to do it alone. This Christian life is not one that you live alone. Wow. Maybe this, as we again fill out the margins, maybe this should inspire us to ask that question, who am I living the Christian walk with? 
Because Paul and Titus were doing it together. And it was beautiful and it was good. It was so good that Paul was even saying, hey, when Titus isn't there, I'm, I'm a little depressed. But when Titus is there, I'm super joyful and exciting. Um, so one of the things that as Awakened Church has grown as we started um, just a long time ago, I used to get to do ministry with uh, my co-pastor now, Pastor Frank. We did home groups together. It was awesome. But now, like, that doesn't necessarily happen all the time. We're, we're not ministering the same groups of people. And so sometimes it is like, yeah, we used to lead home groups together. Oh, it's a little depressing that we don't get to do that. But it's joyful that we get to lead a church together. It's joyful when you're laboring with Jesus and other people to build his church. It's joyful. So what does Paul tell Titus to do? We'll read verse 5. Again, this is Titus chapter 1, verse 5. The reason I left you in Crete was to set right what was left undone as I directed you to appoint elders in every town. One more time. The reason I left you in Crete was to set right what was left undone. And as I directed you to appoint elders in every town. So now we're getting to the purpose of why Paul writes this letter to Titus. And it kind of starts out kind of, you know, there's a beautiful introductory four verses that we read. And then it kind of starts out with like verse five, where it's like, hey, I left you. <laughs> that kind of stinks. <laughs> I know there's a few people who've probably been left hanging with some plans with friends. I left you. I left you. That doesn't feel good emotionally. Like, I intentionally left you. But we're going to read why. And that's what's so powerful about getting to know Titus on the margins is that Paul left him because Titus was able, after, again, 10, 12 years of being with Paul, he was able to lead in areas. And so the big idea I want you guys to, to take from, I think, this entire um, teaching this morning, the big idea is what Paul tells Titus Put in order the things that still need doing. Put in order the things that still need doing. Um, we're not talking about taking out the trash or emptying the dishwasher, though I, I got to do those. Um, we're talking about these spiritual things that churches need, that people need. Put in order the things that still need doing. And I bet for most of you, you, you started off the new year and you had that kind of mentality. Like, I'm gonna put, I'm gonna put in order some things in my life. You know, I'm gonna, you know, get fit this year. Um, you know, I, I'm gonna not be lazy. I'm gonna wake up. Um, you know, I'm gonna try to hang out with friends more. Um, maybe even you had some spiritual goals, some spiritual kind of New Year's resolutions. I'm going to read my Bible more. I, I really need to do that. You know, I need to get involved with, with a small group of people. I, I need to live my life with other people who love Jesus as well. Put in order the things that still need doing. And this is Paul's charge to Titus. And I think this is something that's tough to hear 
You see, the church is unfinished. The church is unfinished. And Paul is telling Titus, use your gifts and your leadership. They're needed so that this church can become whole and can be put together. There's still things that are needed to be done. And I think some of you guys need to hear that this morning. Because even today, the church is still unfinished. People's gifts are needed. Leadership is needed. The gospel is going to go out generation after generation. You're needed to be a part of the church and the body. There's things in your life that need to be put in order. So again, we said it was the opening line of the verse was challenging. Paul says he leaves you. He's left Titus. So it's a difficult task. It's a difficult task to put things in order. Um, it is. He gives Titus a purpose, though. He gives him a purpose that you might put in order these things that were left unfinished. And then last, he gives him specific instructions by appointing leaders, by bringing leadership to the problem. So what are the things that needed doing? Um, and we, uh, time does not permit us um, I mean, if you guys wanted to stay to like three or four, we could get through the whole book. Uh, but time not permit us to just unpack everything in Titus. But what are the three things, what are the key areas that needed doing? There were three of them. Uh, the first was church leadership, alluded to in verse five. The elders needed to be appointed. The second was Christ-centered teaching versus false teaching. And the third thing that needed to be doing was these new believers in Crete where um, Paul left Titus. These brand new believers, these people who, ne again, never heard about Jesus, they needed to have someone instruct them on what conduct looked like that was pleasing to their Lord and Savior. And again, Paul doesn't tell Titus how. And I love that. Paul doesn't necessarily tell him um, how to do everything. But he empowers him, and he empowers him with affection, not turn in a quarterly report to me. He empowers him with affection and grace and mercy. And I think that's really key because some of you in here have this executive leadership ability, and all of us have that ability to kind of solve problems. But what should empower us isn't necessarily our ability or our skills, but are we bringing grace and mercy and affection to the problem? And I think that's really good. Because I know sometimes even as a dad and as a husband, sometimes I'm not bringing grace and mercy in my leadership to the problem. Uh, my wife and I were at um, Dick's Sporting Goods yesterday, um, hoping to get some new shoes. Um, we had all three of our kids with us, so high stressful environment, three children, um, large department store, especially three boys and their sports and balls everywhere, as well as escalators. Um, so high stressful environment. I had in about 10 minutes, tried on two pairs of shoes, had my running shoes ready to go. Let's rock it. 
An hour later, my wife has figured out her exact foot type, tried on eight different pairs of shoes, and still not quite sure which one she wants. I was not bringing grace and mercy to my leadership. See, I was bringing frustration and a little bit of resentment, and a little bit of like, oh, like, why did God wire women this way? Like, come on, like, been here for an hour. Um, you see, I, I needed in, in my ability to problem solve and and in my leadership, I needed to bring grace and mercy and affection to my wife and enjoy the time. See, I just wanted to, like, you know, kind of as a guy, you know, you see, you hunt, you kill, get the shoes, go home. Like, let's go. Um, and um, that's just, um, I, I don't know, I think some of you men especially needed to hear that. The things that need doing oftentimes um, need your grace and mercy and your affection, um, not just your executive ability. Um, and why? Why are we doing all these things? This is the why. We'll read in Titus chapter 3. Paul tells him, why is he putting all these things in order? Why is he appointing leadership? Why is he making sure that he teaches what is true versus just kind of sharing what he thinks? Why is he telling people how they need to conduct themselves? in God's church. It's um, chapter three, starting in verse uh, three. For we too were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, captives of various passions and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful, detesting one another. But when the goodness and love for man appeared from God our Savior, he saved us, not by works of righteousness that we had done, but according to his mercy through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. This spirit he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So that having been justified by his grace, we may become heirs with the hope of eternal life. This saying is trustworthy. I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed God might be careful to devote themselves to do good works. These are good and profitable for everyone. The saying is trustworthy. Why do we care about leadership, about right teaching, about the proper conduct for God's people in the church? You see, we were once foolish and ignorant, enslaved to various passions and lusts, wanting what we wanted, not caring about the things of God, but God in his rich grace and mercy and affection sent Jesus Christ to us at the right time to die for us, and that by the renewing of our mind, the washing of our hearts the Holy Spirit, we could see that truth and believe. And not just believe, but so order our life. To so put in order our life the things that need doing that we are ready for every good work that the Scripture tells us to do. Everything that the holy letters command us to do. This is the why. This is why we care about these things, because we were saved and rescued. See, we're going on a path of darkness, but now, not us. Christ and the Spirit and God have turned us to a path of light, and so we're meant to pursue that path. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ, and there's no better way to start the new year off than being reminded of that truth, that it is the gospel that saves us. 
So um, we've got thing one, thing two, and thing three going on. Church leadership, Christ-centered teaching, and, um, um, and last conduct. So just real quick, we'll look at all those things. Uh, church leaders, um, there's some initial qualifications that Titus has. Hey, you've got to be a blameless guy. You can't just be anybody. You have to be a husband of one wife. Um, and you're, you should have your kids being raised um, in faithfulness and gentleness. And then, um, again, this is um, chapter 1, verses 6 through 14. He's like, also, Titus, when you're looking for these guys to make leaders, here's some not cool things. <laughs> like, stay away from guys who are rebellious, who don't like authority, guys who are prideful and arrogant, guys who get angry and have outbursts of anger. Stay away from guys who are addicted to stuff, especially wine. Stay away from bullies. Stay away from greedy men. They, 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 you don't want them leading your church. They look like the world. And then he says, look for these things. Look for these things, that they're hospitable. They'll open up their home. They provide for people. They love what's good. They're sensible. They're righteous. They're self-controlled. They know how to say no to temptation. They're holy, and they hold firmly the message that we just read about. They hold firmly the gospel. They don't try to add anything onto it. Titus was a man who didn't add anything onto the gospel. And so Paul is telling Titus to look for faithful character, not influence, not charisma, not knowledge, not education, not wealth, not even gifts. Look for faithful character. In some ways, he's saying, look for what's happened with the gospel as if someone's heart has been washed and renewed. The Holy Spirit's living in them. So the Holy Spirit is moving them toward love and joy and peace and patience. And you know what? If that's where the Holy Spirit is moving you towards, that's going to be evident in your family. That's going to be evident in your work. That's going to be evident to your neighbors. And Paul says to Titus, look for those things you see, when, when we're full of the Holy Spirit, when we have these things, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, they're like low-hanging fruit in an orchard that people walk along and pluck and eat. You know what's great about low-hanging fruit? It's the sweetest. It's the juiciest. It's the most ripe. It's delicious. Did you ever felt like that tree? <laughs> what that tree feels like? You have fruit plucked off of them. Ow! Sometimes having the fruit of the Spirit in increasing measure and people walking and just plucking love and joy and peace and patience, sometimes that's going to hurt a little bit. And sometimes we don't like that. But what Paul is telling Titus is look for these men who even though it might hurt them to have this low-hanging fruit of righteousness that people can see it and taste it and encounter God. Look for those kind of guys. Are you someone right now that has low-hanging fruit so people can snatch it? If not, let's put in order the things that still need to be done in our lives. And why? Paul says there's false teachers that are going to teach other things. And then he says also the deck is stacked against you. He quotes this Cretan poet from the 5th or 6th century that says, Cretans are lazy, liars, gluttons, evil beasts. The deck is stacked against us. 
We need to be the people of God that have a low-hanging fruit. Next, uh, Christ-centered teaching. Again, we mentioned false teachers are going to come in. These false teachers, they, they teach for greed. They focus on myths. They teach commandments of men, not scripture. They're okay with foolish debates. They focus on genealogies. They quarrel and they dispute about the law. And against these things, Paul says, preach Christ. You see, when you're preaching Christ, what happens is love and unity and grace and the gospel are what's advanced. These false teachers, they were more interested in what your pedigree of information was. I studied at an Ivy League school, you see. They're more interested in that their learning made them right. They were proud. They caused strife. They were okay with like figuring out myths and, oh, there's a secret Bible code and we're going to figure it out and you've got to know this Bible code because that's how you're going to know God. That's not the case at all. Jesus Christ has been revealed. There is no code. There's the Son. And then they were interested about disputes about the law. You see, they like to externally adorn themselves with things from the outside. Maybe that's something that we do as well. We like to externally adorn ourselves with ministries and props and getting through our Bible reading plans. Those things are all from the outside. You know what makes things grow in a healthy tree is, is life from within. The Holy Spirit is what's going to make us grow. See, the law was from the outside. The Holy Spirit washing and renewing us is from the inside. Your growth can't come from hitting external metrics, but must come from the Holy Spirit. Last, this third thing, conduct in the church. Paul tells, hey, the church, this is what People should look like older men. You should be self-controlled, worthy of respect, sensible, sound in faith, sound in love, sound in endurance. Maybe there's something that needs to be put in order for you older men that you're reading right now. <laughs> older women, reverent, not slanders, not addicts, teaching good, encouraging young women, not greedy. And the emphasis is on the older women to be teaching the younger women. Don't wait around for a younger woman to ask you. That's not Paul's charge to the conduct of the church. The conduct of the church is putting it squarely on older women who've walked with the Spirit of God and walked with Jesus longer to teach younger women. Young women love their husbands, love their children, to be sensible, pure, good homemakers, submissive. Let's come back to good homemakers. That could ruffle some feathers. It's really cool. Paul, basically, it's a... a a, a word in the Greek language that Paul creates. And he smashes the word for home and the word for guardian together. And then sometimes we get this weird word like home worker or homemaker that people try to translate it to in English. A better translation would be a home guardian. Now, I don't know about you ladies, but that's kind of inspiring that I'm being called to be a home guardian. It kind of reminds me of that story in the Old Testament the enemies came in and this home guardian named Jael took up a hammer and took up a, a, a tent peg and defeated her enemy. 
Come on, let's go. <laughs> young men, um, this is tough for young men. Uh, it says be sensible about everything. So on one hand, you be like, hey, the young man, he got off kind of easy. <laughs> There's only one thing. <laughs> be sensible about everything. Dudes, listen up. You can't be lazy in areas in your life. Be sensible about everything. Man, what a charge to young men. Last, um, it does talk about slaves. If we want to read Paul's full kind of belief in even freeing slaves, we have to go to another book of the Bible. Paul was totally about um, uh, emancipating slaves. He just wasn't about doing it through a political revolution at that time. But he tells even the slaves to be submissive, utterly faithful, well-pleasing. But you know what's amazing? When you tell someone to be submissive, so you can't be submissive if you're already under someone. So what Paul is saying is the slave actually has the same equal worth, identity, value, created the image of God, and that's what allows for submission. It's a joyous act. It's not something expected of them. So why this moralism? Why talking about this conduct in the church? Well, a lot of people say Paul's doing that, so the world's watching. The pagans are watching. Even sometimes we can tell our kids, hey, God's watching, so, you know, be good. Act like a Christian. Do this. There's a better why. In Titus 2.14 and Titus 3.14, Paul brings it back to the gospel, and he tells Titus this in verse 14 of chapter 2. He gave himself for us to redeem us from all the lawlessness and to cleanse for himself a special people eager to do good works. So why do we make our conduct match this? Why is Titus putting this in order? Because Jesus Christ gave himself for us. And he wants us to be a people who are ready to do good works. So we've sketched out a lot. Um, as I shared earlier, Titus was wired for executive leadership. Uh, he was left alone with a difficult task. He had a purpose to do that, and he was given specific instructions. And the big idea, put in order the things that still need doing. So for us, to put in order the things that still need doing. It's not waking up on time. It's not getting fit. Those are external things. Those are good things. We encourage you to do those things. What are the things in here that you still need to be doing to grow in your walk with Jesus Christ? As I shared earlier, there's three key areas. There's church leadership, Christ-centered teaching, and conduct in the church. Who's leading you? Christ-centered teaching, does your consumption of spirituality yield love, unity, grace, and the gospel? And last, conduct in the church. Is there an area of character in your heart that you need to grow in? Uh, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to take a minute of, of kind of silence. And, and um, uh, for the AV team, if you guys want to put up the last slide about conduct in the church. Again, our major big idea was put in order the things that need doing. 
love to just take a minute of silence, and then I'll close this out in prayer. To pull out your smartphone or open up your journal that you've been writing notes in, and um, what's that one thing that you need to put in order in your life? Go ahead. Just take a minute. Father, we just thank you for your grace that gets to teach us every morning from your word. We thank you that we got to look at Titus, a character on the margins, uh, a character who put in order things in his life and things in the church. Lord, I pray that as the people of God who've been given the gospel, who've been given grace and mercy to be formed um, as a special people to do good works, Lord, that uh, we would put in order the things in our lives that need to be put in order. And maybe we need healing, and and maybe we just need some encouragement. Um, Lord, whatever it is, I pray that your people would put in order the things that they've heard, and that this entire year would be a year that we put things in order for the glory of God, for the spread of the gospel, and um, for the love of the people in your church. We pray this in your name. Amen.